and seal the edges by crimping with a fork. Ah, crap. Ben! What's up, Chris? Come on in, man. I already did. So, uh, how you been? How you doing? How are you? Great, actually. I'm just learning how to make a calzones. Or, as you Americans like to say, calzones. Do you want one? No, I find calzone fatty and unnecessary. So, you've hit a bit of a rough patch, and I care about you. So I just want to make sure that you're doing okay. Chris, honestly, I'm great. I'm just exploring whatever fun activity pops into my brain. Like, check this out. I'm teaching myself how to do claymation videos. Isn't this just so cool? <laughs> it is so cool. Ben is massively depressed, and he needs my help. So, Ben, why Cazzone? Glad you asked, Chris. You know, there's fast food hamburgers, there's fast food Mexican, there's fast food Chinese, blah, blah, blah. Have you ever wondered why there isn't a fast food option for Italian food? What about pizza? Pizza? Never heard of it. That's what people will be saying in 20 years, because pizza is old news, Chris. Pizza is your grandfather's calzone. I never thought of it that way. What I'm talking about is a portable, delicious meal that is its own container. It's a whole new spin on Italian fast casual dining. Amazing. Now, you of all people like this, I'm going to use low-fat ingredients. Game changer. And I will call my new Italian fast casual eatery the Local Calzone Zone. That idea is literally the greatest idea I have ever heard in my life. That idea is terrible. Hello, everyone. Welcome to that food podcast. And that was quite an intro about calzone, calzoni, however you'd like to say it. And now I've committed to saying that in the intro, I've got to put the sound clip in. My name's <laughs> Stu, and I'm joined, as always, by my good friend, Matt. Matt, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. I'm intrigued to see whether we do or don't put this intro in. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if we don't, this is going to sound really weird. Um, if we do, it's going to be excellent. Um, I'm going to get to a little bit about that in the episode later. But I am good. I'm very good. Um, quite a lot has happened over the past couple of weeks since I last spoke to you, Stu. Um, I am now fully vaccinated, so that's uh, yeah, a bonus. Um, uh, I can so... track you with my iPhone. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bill Gates is all over it now. He knows exactly where I am. <laughs> well, um, it's following his divorce, he's got a lot of spare time on his hands. So he's, he's obviously going to be tracking everyone who's had the vaccine, surely. Uh, absolutely. That's what the divorce was all about, wasn't it? He's uh, <laughs> yeah. distracted by tracking so many people nowadays. Um but yeah, got that done. That was no problem. All very straightforward. Again, excellent um, service by the surgery that I went into. Um, very slick and sleek and um, made it happen very quickly, uh, very painlessly. It's all, all fun and games. Um, what's, what else has happened? Oh, house buying as well, Stu. So house buying, for anyone who's been through the process, like you have, Stuart, uh, is a pain, isn't it, occasionally? <laughs> so we've That's had a mild up- understatement. Yeah, we've had some ups and downs. It's been... It's a positive ending, uh, but we did have our survey done um, and it came back with some damp, which not completely unexpected considering the age of the house. Um, it's, I think it's built in the turn of the century, so it's, um, yeah, it's at that age where things are going to start happening, such as damp and uh, various other maintenance that's going to need to continue throughout its, uh, its life now. Um, and we had some damp come up on reports. So we had, and this is the other thing. So you get a report um, and then you have to get a damp proof expert in to um, kind of put a price on how much the work is going to be. So you get another report 
And then by the time you got that second report, um, you know, you've had like three or four weeks pass. Um, and then uh, we went back to the owner, try to get some money knocked down um, to compensate for the amount of work that's going to be needed. And then there's a little bit of back and forth there, and we sort of ended up meeting in the middle. Um, but the good news is we have settled on a price. We managed to knock uh, about nine grand off the uh, original agreed price, so quite happy with that, uh, which should in theory cover all the work that needs doing. Um, so we are at a position, I am happy to say, as of yesterday, where we are, uh, well, almost once again, good to go uh, with an agreed price, everything's set, uh, the mortgage is uh, finalised, so we should, in theory, start getting rolling again with it and move in relatively soon. So happy days. Oh, that's awesome news. And I hope you're looking at the volume of cooking gadgets you can acquire if there's any leftover monies well, for resolving the damp proofing. There is, I think I mentioned, extra surface space in the kitchen, so more room for me to make mess. But also, yes, Stu, more room for gadgets. So uh, uh, always up for that. How have you been, my friend? Yeah, not too bad. Obviously, last week, uh, we didn't get to record due to sort of work scheduling. But also, miraculously, we both, despite going to see no one ever, yeah. managed to both get quite nasty colds. We did. <laughs> yeah, I was quite ill last week. I took about um, four different COVID tests, just to be sure, just to be certain that it wasn't anything too untoward. Um, uh, it all came up negative. But yeah, just had a really nasty cold. Um, I think there must be something going wrong, uh, going around even. Yeah, so we didn't uh, record last week, and we're not going to be recording next week because as restrictions in the UK have relaxed a little bit more, it means I can go on my little holiday to Somerset, to a nice little holiday cottage, so I'm going to be enjoying what looks like, per next week's weather forecast, terrible weather, including this Friday as as our stopping point on the drive to Somerset, we will be stopping at Pepper Pig World. Oh, where it looks nice. like there'll be heavy rain and high winds. So I look forward to nothing more than <laughs> driving two and a half hours to Pepper Pig World, getting soaked, and then driving another hour and a half to where we're staying in Somerset. But, but sometimes I think it's just nice to go somewhere different, isn't it, and have some time away. So Yeah, so I'm looking forward to it. I, yeah. I realised, like like many people who are, who are listening uh, to this, you know, I didn't go away or do anything last summer. I was due to go to Centre Parks last year, but again, because of the restrictions, they refunded everyone, so that's good. And then I started thinking, well, I worked through the whole pandemic in my last job. Then I changed jobs, and I thought to myself, I actually haven't had any time off since September 2019. Wow. <laughs> I started thinking, no wonder I'm getting a bit grumpy and tired. I mean, I'm, I'm very, very much still enjoying my new job, um, and we'll uh, sort of deviate into that later in the pod, but it did mean this weekend, as we're as we're off on our little staycation later this week, it's that fun time before you go on holiday where you're trying to clear everything out of the fridge. So dinners seem to be having some very interesting accompaniments to it. So, for example, last night we had a lovely katsu curry with bleh, cauliflower rice. With a side of courgette and string beans. <laughs> Standard. <laughs> yeah. I know, I know where you're at. Um, I think I mentioned before, we're trying to sort of whittle down stuff in our uh, cupboards and things. And we're, we're having some random combinations at the moment as well. But I did this weekend get back into having a lovely roast uh, chicken. But a quite Very interesting nice. story at my local butcher's at the farm shop. 
So uh, on Saturdays, I've mentioned previously on the podcast, Harriet now goes to a drama school uh, in the morning. So I've got an hour and a half to myself. I thought, because it was pouring with rain on Saturday, I thought, well, I'll tell you what I'll do, because I haven't done this for a long time. I'll take my laptop with me and play a bit of football manager in my car, because it's an hour and a half. Um, rocked what up to the car park, dropped Harriet off. She had a lovely time. To open my laptop, forgot when I went to charge it the night before, hadn't turned it on the plug socket, 3% battery. Oh, no. <laughs> <Right> <laughs> oh, <there>. no. <laughs> but th- this is a convoluted way to get to the uh, get to the uh, butcher story. But as Harriet was coming out of drama school, I noticed she had a certificate with her. And apparently, every week at this drama school, if you are the poppet of the week, you get awarded a certificate. And they were doing the Lion King, and Harriet, despite only being there for four weeks, was poppet of the week. I definitely don't think it's got anything to do with the fact they keep on pushing me to say, oh, our local casting agent is here. Maybe you should sign up, because Harriet's quite good. <laughs> trying, trying to push oh, wow. me across the line by going, and look, she even won a certificate. You should sign her up to this casting agency. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. I'd say, this is the thing. I, As someone who did spend a couple of terms at a drama school, it is insane how competitive and pushy the parents are. So I always wait at the gate, they drop Harriet in, they bring her back out because things of COVID, you can't go in and watch, which again is fine. And Harriet comes out having a lovely time. I say, did you have a nice time? Excellent. Wave goodbye at the teacher and off we go. But this week, because Harriet was showing me her certificate, I stayed and watched the carnage of parents. And considering this group is between four and six years old, parents arguing and sort of pushing around to see who if their child could get into a show that they're hosting on the 10th oh, of July no. mm-hmm. and it's things like that that I think oh no this is I mean the school itself is run brilliantly the classes sound excellent Harriet has a <laughs> lovely time but it's you, you see these things and you hear about these sort of pushy parents and I appreciate they want to get it in there, but they were sort of saying about, well, they had this casting agency with your casting agent and so-and-so hasn't been offered any roles yet. It's like, mm. your child is four or five years old and is probably at school, <laughs> isn't going to be spending their time like performing in a Brechtian version of a doll's house at the weekend. It's just <laughs> absolutely bizarre. Yeah. But we took, we took, I took Harriet off to the butchers afterwards, off to the farm shop. She was carrying her certificate nice and proudly. Went into the butchers, as they know us quite well. I asked Harriet to pick which chicken she thought we should have. She picked one. Very good choice. It was a very tasty roast chicken. And then the butcher behind there said, oh, I can't believe how much she's grown. It's like, yeah, it has been four years. And it's like, oh, I remember when you coming in here when she was just in her little carrier. And I was like, yep, I come in here a lot. <laughs> if you remember. <laughs> and then... Harriet was looking at sausages and then the butcher just said to her, do you want a few sausages on the house to celebrate your certificate? And just gave her some lovely sausages for free from the butcher's counter. Oh, that's lovely. Isn't that nice? What a lovely story. It's it's gone from tragic mums trying to be pushy (laughs) to uh, free sausages. Yeah, so because we do... Luckily, it was free sausages because we'd agreed that evening we would have a very... uh, enjoyable hot dog evening so we also cook the sausages up to have with hot dogs as well so it's very very tasty ah that's lovely what a nice treat and what a nice man to do that for harriet and congratulations harriet as well for being pop of the week that's fantastic Um, they were doing the lion king oh well we're big fans of the uh well anything disney in the huntley household really and lion king is certainly up there one of our favorites although the remake wasn't as good 
Um, I don't know if you're not a big movie fan, are you, Stu? Uh, no, I mean, I think I remember bits of The Lion King from uh, from days of old, but uh, excellent, yeah, excellent soundtrack, else. great animation. <laughs> yeah, well, Elton all over it, of course, it is, it's going to be great. <laughs> But you mentioned, you know, what a nice treat for the butchers. And it leads us nicely onto food in the news with treats that we're going to expect to enjoy in the summer. But there might be one treat we might not be able to enjoy. I will set the scene for you. Picture it. It's a warm, sunny day. You are at a beach. You're having a lovely time. As a treat, after you've been for a nice walk or a paddle in the sea, you think to yourself, you know what I fancy. I fancy a 99. Oh, lovely. What a delight. You go over to the maybe the ice cream van and you ask for your 99, making sure it's with a flake. Yeah, and you're greeted with this response. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, we don't have any flakes. <sighs> That's just ruined the moment, Stu. Well, this could be a moment ruiner for a lot of people as the weather warms up because it has been reported by Cadbury that there is a shortage <laughs> of Cadbury's flakes. I've uh, heard Cab- about this. Oh, yes. it's unbelievable. Due to a surge in demand, there may be issues long-term with the supply of our lovely flakes for 99s. Now, again, they have confirmed that vendors can still order these. There are still some available. But how long these stocks are going to last, who knows? But can you imagine that a staple of the summer treat roster and you can't get a flake with your 99? Now, nightmare. It's that is really sad. Yeah, I mean, like you said, I was in the moment there, Stu. You were telling me a lovely story, and I felt like I was actually there, and I had the sun beat down on my face, even though as I look out the window, it's currently raining. I was I had sand in between my toes. Looking forward to that ninety nine with a flake, and snatched it all away from me, my friend. And you know, call me sceptical, though, Stu. Is this a market employee? Oh, hands down. It's basically <laughs> saying, everyone, please buy our flakes. So we're about to run it. We're about to have them go past their use by now. So get them now while we can. <laughs> I mean, I haven't tweeted Cadbury to ask them if this is the case, because I don't really want to get a stock answer like Benoit did regarding <laughs> the uh, keeping your chocolate in a fridge uh, debacle. But I did think it was a potential marketing scan. But I did also think how much I do actually enjoy a 99. Yeah, oh, fantastic. Uh, big fan. It's, it's um, I don't know, do you prefer it to a scoop of ice cream? You know, you can get like the proper ice cream, whereas like the 99 is generally the whippy ice cream kind, isn't it? What would your preference be there? I think it depends on where I'll be consuming it. Because if I'm having an ice cream to walk with, you'd probably go for the scoop because, mm. you know, you've got a bit more... Um, got a bit more time it's i call it more of a sociable ice cream hmm. <laughs> if you will yeah, yeah. and you normally have quite a th- you know maybe a thicker cone maybe a waffle cone with a scoop of ice cream whereas with with uh, a 99 uh, with the whip mr whippy or other whipped versions of ice cream are available obviously. <laughs> um i mean uh, <laughs> mr whippy if you'd like us to start <laughs> doing this you know we happily will um but which? Having the the, the 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 softer cone, unless you're going to go through it, your cone's going to get soggy. Mm. So if you're walking with it, not ideal. But sitting down, um, I'd go for a 99. Would you have, to... Stu, Ooh. one more question. Would you have monkey's blood on it? No. <laughs> no. 
<laughs> no chance. <laughs> do, you, do you have any? This is a uh, another Amy Northeast reference for you. Uh, have you heard of Monkey Blood? Monkey's Blood. I've only heard it once because I, <laughs> I was remembering one time when I was in Newcastle um, for work, and again. <laughs> There was an ice cream van near the hotel. And someone said, uh, and the, the man said, do you want monkey's blood with it to a kid? And I just thought, that's that's a very odd thing. And then obviously he put the strawberry sauce on top. And I was yes, like, yes, oh, okay. there we go. There we go. That's the big reveal. Uh, yeah. So very much a northeast uh, terminology, I believe. That's so funny that you actually come across that in person. Um, I've only heard it through Amy, so to actually experience that in the northeast when you were visiting, and what a great business trip as well to have an ice cream van parked outside your hotel. <laughs> Sounds ideal. I, mean, I can't, I can't <laughs> say much for the quality of the hotel, and obviously Amy would probably agree that the hotel was in Newcastle, so it would probably be scum anyway. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but, um, but I've, yeah, I've, I've only experienced it in that terminology. But I, I'm not a sauce person on my ice creams. I like. I like exactly, you know, well, I like my 99, I like my Mr. Whippy, although interestingly, to obviously uh, highlight things that my uh, on my other podcast, my good friend Rich would probably uh, fall off his chair laughing at, when I was on a cruise, <laughs> <laughs> um, they had not only normal Mr. Whippy, but they had chocolate Mr. Whippy. Oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> that sounds dodgy, <laughs> potentially. <laughs> I think I had a bit of that last week with my illness. <laughs> <laughs> oh, crikey. Well, um, I don't know how to transition from that, so I'm just going to move on. So we've mentioned uh, Lidl and M&S having their battles regarding Cuthbert the Caterpillar. Oh, yes. Hashtag free Cuthbert. <clears throat> well, <clears throat> it's gone a bit quiet, so I don't know if now it is progressing with actual legals or more important things are occurring in the news right now to be able to make track of it but aldi 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 are just looking <laughs> for a potential lawsuit but i think they're going to get away with it because of parodies right. so we've mentioned in the past before that sometimes people enjoy a mcdonald's yes occasionally well I do soon to be released in Aldi, will be their new McDonald's-inspired range. So, Matt, you can go in there mm-hmm. and you can buy yourself a big stack. <laughs> okay, Big Mac, yeah, very good. Yeah, <laughs> you can buy a big stack. You can buy some a box of chicken nuggets where the Brock's branding looks very much like the McDonald's colours and branding <laughs> on it. Right. Um, you can also buy a, a box of 10 breakfast hash browns, also in the same colour coding. Oh, I do like a hash brown. It. But, mm. you know, if you are working on a budget and you are looking for your sort of takeaway treat, they're like half the price of going to McDonald's. And the success of Aldi's, let's call it inspired takeaway range, rather than, you know, <laughs> knockoff or ripoff, their inspired <laughs> range. Polite um, way it. <laughs> they did a um essentially the equivalent of a filet fish sandwich that in taste comparisons apparently based on what aldi have said is that they taste just as good if not better than mcdonald's so if you're saving half the price mm-hmm. and it tastes just as good then it's probably a good thing but i just I, I it's probably just a me thing but i don't think i'd go into a 
a supermarket and go like like you see rustlers burgers mm-hmm. they the the ones you ding in a microwave yeah. I just I think <laughs> you pay <laughs> I, just, I just can't get on with those I can't think of anything sadder than going into Aldi and buying a McDonald's knockoff <laughs> <It's> just, <it's> <laughs> really <laughs> Uh, apologies to anyone who might consider the idea, but uh, it's just uh, no, not for me. I don't think um, Aldi are just asking for it, aren't they? Really, they they love. <laughs> I think they love the attention of uh, doing these knockoffs and um, assumably getting the media attention for it. It's funny. This has seeped into people's consciousness, though, because I'm doing. Uh, I mentioned I'm doing my teach training course at the moment, and I had a. Um, we do a session every Monday evening, uh, and the Monday evening just gone. I, um, one of my cohorts, uh, was talking about Cuthbert the Caterpillar and that actually after the class, he was going to go to Aldi because he's heard that they are now restocking Cuthbert's after they sold out and he's very, very keen to get one. And then furthermore to that, he's actually good because we have to do a micro teach at the end of the 10 week session, um, on a subject of our choice. Uh, so I might do sport or something like that whereas he's actually going to do a presentation on copyright law uh, referring to the Cuthbert case um, so it really is seeping into uh, sort of popular culture almost love it absolutely love it <laughs> well I'm not going to carry on with anything else in food and news because we actually have some listener questions so wow. in my current employment I might have shared last week's pod, well, our previous podcast uh, in one of the channels. We have social channels and work channels, um, and yeah. one of the social channels is cooking. Oh wow! And I shared last last episode in mm-hmm. there. Um, the numbers very very good. Thank you very much for listening. And again, if you are now a regular listener following last last episode, thank you very much for coming along. But we've been asked some questions. Wow, by s- some of my colleagues. And I should also add that I've never met any of these people in real life. And mm-hmm. in fairness, I've only spoken to a couple of these people um, since I've worked here. So these are actually people who don't know me, don't know of my background. So they've asked some nice questions, which is very kind of them. Um, so I'll do my best not to alienate myself and do <laughs> horrible answers and get a bad reputation <laughs> in my employee of people I've never met in person. But I thought there were some interesting uh, questions also following on from the last podcast. So I have a question from Benjamin, who would <laughs> like to know regarding your wrestling training. Yeah. Do you, did you have set meals either of you would eat before wrestling? And have you ever eaten something so bad that you regretted it whilst doing your your wrestling? <laughs> so thank you, Benjamin, for that question. I fear this was an attempted loaded question. Yeah, thanks, Ben. Um, so I let me think. So it depends what sort of context you're putting it into. If it's training wise, I would just um, I would eat a kind of normal sort of uh, concoction of meals throughout the the day um i've always been quite conscientious of why i suppose in terms of trying to um eat things which are slow release energy and um not too high in sugar uh which will just make me crash and burn in terms of my energy levels um on show day which is probably a bit more interesting is i would get so um, what's the word especially when I was running shows as well, when I was promoting plus wrestling on shows and trying to sort of keep everyone organized and on time and 
you know, on on pace to make sure that they're in the right place at the same right time and the show gets underway at the same time. And I was always very fortunate in the fact that I had um, my wife Amy to help me out with that as well. And she's excellent and she's been marvellous throughout the whole journey of SCPW. Um, but I'd get so, like, het up, nervous almost, that I'd find it kind of difficult to find time to eat. Um, so... <laughs> It's kind of come back to me now. One of the other things that Amy used to try to sort of do, as well as all of her other jobs that she had to do on show day, was kind of try to make sure that I'm eating as well. In fact, Stu, you know this for a fact because you're also uh, <laughs> a, a party to this too. You, you, uh, you yourself would uh, often check on me, make sure that I've eaten enough <laughs> and drank enough and things like that. Um, so show day, I would most certainly not eat enough food, and that would probably be my um, my kind of thing that I might have regretted come performance time I might feel you know maybe a little bit low on energy but actually you know once you get out there all those things go away um and you feel uh, ready to go it's afterwards when you have the crash so you, you come back and you've got the adrenaline rushing anyway um probably again haven't eaten enough food during the day um so in the evenings after we've packed down and we've gone home I would have massive um just a massive crash of energy I'd feel awful and for the whole next day as well i just think the ups and downs of like performing and plus also trying to eat right on the day and things like that because um, you'd go home and you'd have something quick as well and we'd be talking like this is quite late at night as well by the time we get home after it's all set said and done and packed away um so you'd often pick up going back to you know mcdonald's or whatever just often pick up a, a quick fast food meal um and that <laughs> really doesn't help the situation either because you are having that sort of rush of highs of sugars and fats and things like that and then having to crash afterwards so um my biggest i guess regret if you like uh would be not eating correctly on show day and then suffering the consequences the uh, next day or two uh with the massive come down and crash i i, I we've probably mentioned this on the pod before i cannot eat before doing any real form of physical activity i think it might be subconscious that i feel that i'd feel unwell and if i mm -hmm. eat anything even if it's light i'd feel quite sluggish so for me if there's any form of whether it was in ring or doing any other sport because when i used to play a lot of football i'd never eat before doing that it's the same thing at home working out i i prefer working out on an empty stomach i know i probably don't get the same results but i feel better in myself doing it mm -hmm. But it's funny you should say about, obviously, the um, the fluid intake. Because one of the things that I'd find on show day, especially when I was focusing on doing commentary uh, for SCPW and other promotions as well, is that I just wouldn't drink anything. Because, one, I wouldn't want to be like halfway through a show go, actually, <laughs> I'm going to abandon my commentary uh, table if I've drunk too much water and need to go to the loo. Yep. And also, I think to, think to myself, well, if I'm recording all the time, no one wants to hear someone go... <laughs> drinking and so <laughs> on a microphone so but then as you said you'd find you'd be talking for sort of two to three hours sometimes plus everything at the start of the show and pack down and i'd start driving home and be like i am your voice my voice would be shot mm -hmm. completely and i think a lot of that again is just due to the lack of hydration that we'd have but i thought it was quite an interesting question i mean the other thing uh ben from my standpoint of anything i regretted um when Matt was doing personal training for me <laughs> and he told me one morning because I said about not eating before he said just have some banana and peanut butter before you come peanut butter is 
rancid. I hate <laughs> it. It's disgusting. But following my coach's instructions, I ate what he told me to eat. <laughs> I think I survived like 25 minutes of the session. I was sat on like the bench, the lifting bench going, oh, I don't feel well. <laughs> it was like, no, it's not because I'm tired or exerted myself. It's because I've eaten some peanut butter and it's rancid. <laughs> it was an excellent start, wasn't it? That? <laughs> Everyone loves dry heaving after doing deadlifts. Oh. <laughs> it was yeah. horrible. Uh, apologies oh. for that one. That's my bad. <laughs> I'll move on to another question. So Joanne has asked, she said, it's really nice to hear two men who spend so much time in the kitchen, which must Uh, be nice for our significant others. (laughs) What cooking habit do you hate the most from your wives? (laughs) This is a brave (laughs) question. (laughs) Oh, do you want to take this one first, Stu? (laughs) Yeah. Do you want to incriminate yourself first? (laughs) I will. Liquidy sauces. Oh, okay. Now it's my my standpoint is like I know the whole thing when you drain pasta, mm-hmm. it's that the, all the chefs say it's really important to have just a little bit of the water left over because it makes the sauce nice. It helps it stick to the pasta. It's really mm-hmm. nice. Yeah, apparently so. Yeah. What I can't stand is if people don't drain it properly or drain rice properly, you end up with a very like watery liquid puddle at the bottom of the dish, and then anything that touches it, it just gets all mulchy. So. Whilst I am very grateful that my wife will obviously prepare dinner if I'm sort of doing bedtime for Harriet and I have got cooked dinner ready when I come down and it's, you know, you can't begrudge anyone doing something nice for you like that, especially if they, if, if, you know, Leanne's had a horrible day at work, she's still in the kitchen cooking tea, so we're ready to, to have it. But it's one of those things like, just, I don't want to eat my dinner in a puddle of water. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's a fair request. (laughs) <laughs> um, for for me, it's um, Amy's. Uh, she's she's better now, but her insistent on insistence on using ingredients where not necessarily should be used. So I <laughs> I've said to her in the past, not everything should be an ingredient <laughs> all at once. <laughs> um, very much going back to I suppose try not to waste food and things like that if there's stuff left over she'll just chuck it into a dish and sometimes it's a bit too much you know like you overcomplicate things and you can have too much going on in one dish um yeah not everything needs to be an ingredient now fortunately um amy i think i've mentioned before doesn't really listen to this podcast so i can get away with this a little bit um she again just to emphasize why it's just because it's my thing you know and she'll um, in her own words, may try to interfere with content and things like that by sort of <laughs> influencing what I'm going to say. So she'd rather just uh, uh, stay out of it. But yeah, my, my thing with Amy is that not everything needs to be ingredient. Um, and yeah, so just pull back on that a little bit. But she has been better. And the other thing is um, her she mm, she won't follow recipes, which is sometimes great. Um, so if you put a recipe in front of her, she'll have a quick glance at it and then she'll dismiss all of it <laughs> and do her own thing and kind of do what she thinks is right. Now, sometimes it works out wonderfully, like really, really good. Other times, uh, not so much, but <laughs> they, they would be my two kind of bugbears, I think. And we'll go one more. And it links into something we spoke about on the pod previously. So Christian asks, you know, very interested to hear about um, earthen wheat boxes. Um, at the name of the company we work for. Um, we are net zero, so it's fantastic wow. from our carbon 
like our carbon footprint. So we are a net zero company across the globe, which is fantastic. That's amazing. Um, he had a follow up saying, do you think an earth and wheat box delivery to our offices would be worthwhile? Um, because we do a lot of bread, we have a lot of, sort of toast and rolls and bagels for all our staff as part of you know our little benefits of working for the company. So if you, you're running late, you don't have time for breakfast before you jump on the tube, great, you can grab a bagel or grab some toast when you get to the office. Um, and also, as a second question, saying, did you ever find out about the plastic packaging elements of it, which you mentioned in mm. a previous podcast? So I'd probably say, Christian, because you don't know what you're getting in it, um, I don't think it would be suitable for an office environment because if you're expecting sort of hungry commuters and you've got pita breads and flatbreads and they're wanting to pop them in the toaster, yeah, you can do it, but I, I don't think they'd be as popular as just getting bread delivered from you know wherever we get bread delivered from. And with regards to the plastic packaging, I will read out a response. So I sent them a message on Twitter, um, a direct message, because obviously I didn't want them to think that I'm trying to shame them in public or call them out in public because they're doing a fantastic um, job. So I mentioned, obviously, what we'd done with the the crumpets and what we'd done with the pitters in our house. We made a chicken fajita pie using the, using the flatbreads. But I asked the question of, you know, um, are they going to look at changing single-use plastics, uh, single plastics and whether or not they plan to reduce this amount um, as they progress as a business. And obviously emphasising them, it wasn't a dig. And considering the great environmental work that they're doing, it'd be interesting to see if they could take it to the next level. They did send a quite a nice response back a few days later that said, you know, thanks for getting in touch. Compliments about the, uh, the, the meals we've been preparing. Uh, she, they said, with regards to plastic, without this packaging, bread waste would be 20% higher. They're constantly looking to innovate and implement even greater eco-friendly alternatives. And for now... They're proud to have the 100% recyclable, biodegradable, and edible delivery boxes. Um, so, my uh, obviously, I didn't okay. eat my box that my bread was <laughs> delivered in. But it, it's, it's nice they responded. It is interesting that they have to use plastic to save more bread. And, you know, I, I understand the, the concept behind it, which is, you know, food standards probably play a, a huge factor in this. But... Uh, I like the fact that they, they did say they are going to continually evolve. And it is a good thing that obviously you've got this biodegradable box that comes, yeah, the contents comes in. So, you know, again, I, I can't knock them for it. We both said before things like our supermarkets where they deliver the plastics. And we went off on Tesco's on Twitter, um, <laughs> which we'll get to in a second, <laughs> um, about about plastics and what they, they use it for. But I'd say, Christian, you know, it, it's good if you wanted to give it a try. Um, for it from a home standpoint, or if you've got a couple of people in the office who want to give it a go and divvy it up, that's you know I, I'd say go for it. But I think for an actual office for a day to day, probably not the sort of thing you're looking for. No, that's fair enough. Um, on the subject of plastic, uh, I do urge everyone to take a look at um, and yourself as well, Stu, a report by the um, Mindaroo Foundation, which is a foundation based in Australia, and they have done research which uh, links. All of the plastic in the in the world and where the source comes from, and they've actually managed to narrow it down to um, twenty companies, uh, which make over half of the uh, plastic that exists in the world. And what they're trying to say is, and the emphasis is that 
you know, for years we've kind of been putting the emphasis on the um, on the consumer, you know, by taking away plastic bags or charging for plastic bags, um, which is a good thing, but it kind of only really chips away at the edges. What they're trying to do is narrow down where the source of plastic comes from um, and more importantly, how it's made. So a lot of plastics starts with uh, the use of petrochemicals, so using coal and oils and things like that to make the uh, the substance which then goes into making plastic items. And what they're trying to ask these companies to do is obviously first acknowledge that fact, but then also look at alternative ways of getting these polymers to make the plastic. Um, and uh, possibly looking at reusing uh, used plastic and then kind of changing their processes so rather than using um, materials which uh, emit lots of carbon as well um, but actually use plastics that have already been made melt them down and then put them back into the system as polymers to be then again made for plastic so kind of taking some of the emphasis off uh, consumers and suppliers that maybe uh, can't afford to take the hit and putting the emphasis back on big companies that are making lots of profit from this as well uh, to be a bit more responsible with how they uh, they initiate the uh, the formation of plastic. This also goes back to what we mentioned on the plastic packaging tax in the UK that's coming in in 2022, so from April. So obviously doing a little bit more of a deep dive into, into this as well, and as you said, how it's now going to be going for the business rather than the individual. Mm-hmm. So these new measures have been brought in so... Businesses are going to have to pay £200 per tonne of a tax rate for packaging that they create or export that has less than 30% recycled plastic in it. So touching back on your point where they're sort of breaking down all these plastics, reusing them again to actually get these in. That's how these big businesses are going to avoid this £200 per tonne of tax charge. And there's going to be an exemption for producers and importers of small quantities of plastic packaging. So the small businesses who may not be able to have the funding to go and do more you know, economical um, and environmentally friendly things at this stage, they're not going to be hit and financially penalised. So it's going to be aimed at big businesses. Now, the impact um, on the, the economic impact is really going to affect, it thinks, 20,000 businesses of producers right. and importers of plastic packaging. Um, and you know, obviously there's money for the government out of this that's yeah that's that's understandable but they're not obviously expecting to see um too much money and the interesting on their projections of how much this tax is going to bring in trying to show the curve of environmental you know planning and preparation for these plastic packaging in the year 2022 2023 they expect sort of raking about uh, you know an additional 240 million on tax but that goes down 5 million in 23 24 and it goes down a further 15 million mm. in 24 25 suggesting that you know we are going to be l- losing so many tons of this single use plastic without you know 30% recycled element in is it enough at this moment in time probably not it's going to be a good thing and it's also going to be what's going to happen with that money that goes back into government is it going to be put into green initiatives or is it just going to go back into the mm. normal rotation yeah but i think these policies tend to evolve so like uh people have a higher tax rate if they have a company car it's higher co2 emissions and those scales get higher all the time as years go on so you get penalized more the longer you have um these high co2 emission vehicles 
and I think from a plastic patching standpoint, I think as time goes on, it'd be a case of, okay, well, this text covers you if you've got anything below 30% recycled plastic in your products. Then maybe in five years' time, they'll go, well, now it's going to go up to 50% recycled plastic and then follow that, that trend. So hopefully, um, you know, more research is going to it. People are becoming more aware. And also, businesses are being held more accountable. You know, because you've got a younger, more tech-savvy generation coming through. Yeah. I mean, if you think we were when we were growing up and the internet was really starting to come through with dial-up internet, mm-hmm. you know, we were more focused on things like instant messenger and MSN and email and stuff like that and potentially auspiciously downloading music through auspicious means. <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> allegedly, 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 <laughs> opinion, opinion. <laughs> Um, but now everyone is more savvy and also very much aware that you know it's a couple of the next few generations who are really going to feel the impact of this. So they're raising more awareness <coughs> and being very, very much more vocal because they've got a platform now that they didn't have 15, 20 years ago. They can't pressure MPs. They can't pressure big companies because big companies don't want that negative feedback, which in a no, way is right. good, provided yeah. it's done in a correct manner you know we don't want to see people causing vandalism or destruction because a company's doing something that they don't agree with you know i'd love to go up to tesco's and say look I'm, if you're going to keep putting red plastic bags over poultry and you already put it in plastic packaging stop doing it stop doing it and yep. the person at tesco's will just sit there and go i'm really sorry it's not my decision yeah <laughs> so it, it, do, it doesn't sort of really add anything but it just goes to show that people now have more communication channels to try and make positive change, which I think is really encouraging. Yeah, absolutely. And just give some context to Stu's mention of Tesco's there. We had a little uh, pop at them on Twitter just with our kind of displeasure of how much plastic they provide with their um, their, uh, deliveries or uh, even um, when you go pick it up uh, from the store, if you do click and collect. They tend to wrap things are already in plastic in more plastic. So you've got your uh, chicken in a, um, a plastic container with a plastic film, and then they put more plastic in the form of a red plastic bag over the top. And I, I understand that there's food standards and <clears throat> what have you, but I think it's little changes like that need to be looked at as well. It's, just, it's already vacuum packed into a plastic packaging. What more could go wrong? And I think it's attitudes, it's probably to a certain extent, kind of driven by attitudes of the consumer they want to see that almost maybe um so they're kind of trying to pander to that crowd but then there's also a possibly i don't know um younger more like you say tech savvy crowd that don't want that and and don't want more plastic on their items so um i guess they're kind of at odds with consumers kind of pressuring from different sides as well um but i do think as you said Stu, there is definitely a change and there's a uh, uh, stronger opinions on this, um, more communication uh, channels to be able to kind of get these opinions across as well. Um, and uh, I, this Mindaroo Foundation report, which I was talking about earlier, I heard about this on um, BBC Radio 4 on my drive home from work last night. Um, every time I say something, I, I sound so pretentious. Oh, BBC Radio 4. <laughs> and, oh, I'm trying not to eat as much meat and I'm trying to reduce plastic and all that sort of stuff. If I was listening to myself, I'd probably hate myself. Anyway, so <laughs> this, um, the, uh, what was I going to say? Yeah, I mean, there, the reporter was basically saying he's been reporting on this for a decade. And 10 years ago, these big companies that are being called out now by these uh, uh, research pieces 
um, 10 years ago, they would have no interest. They'd, they'd completely bat it away and be like, well, no, we don't care, basically. 10 years on, um, there is a big change. They are actually kind of accepting these things now. They're going to be communicating with the foundations that are doing the research. Um, and, you know, whether that means there'll be any positive result from it, I don't know. But at least they are kind of acknowledging the issues now. And that's obviously a good thing. Yeah. And I was quite happy when I finally got hold of some pizza dough for this week's recipe of the week. <laughs> it just came in cardboard that was recyclable. So I, as we move on to our recipe of the week, I had my first near recipe of the week nightmare Matt, this for this week's podcast really crikey what? so i ordered my shopping mm-hmm. from tesco to go and collect it as part of you know my delivering my child to drama school routine and i ordered the freshly you know i the, the pre-made pizza dough that the recipe suggested where we're making our lovely lovely calzone or calzones which was your uh, choice of recipe of the week mm-hmm. and i went to collect the shopping and I looked at the bit of paper. Please email it, Tesco's. Don't just give me a live piece of paper, but that's fine. <laughs> I appreciate other people. Don't you give me an option? Just give me an option. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> um, I looked at I looked at the list, and everything was there other than my pizza dough. And then it said, oh, no. "No substitution <laughs> available." I was like, "Oh no, <laughs> this is a nightmare." The the kind of the main thing that you need was <laughs> is just a bit of. Uh, Veg and some sauce, really, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, everyone loves veg and sauce, but <laughs> I was like, oh, no, this is really, really bad. So after returning on Saturday, I popped into uh, my local town, looked in every shop for freshly made pizza dough, mm-hmm. and I was like, nope, nothing. <laughs> and I was starting to think to myself, I'm going to have to make the dough from scratch. I wasn't planning on doing this. <laughs> and then thinking, well, I don't have any of the ingredients to do this. Oh, no, oh, no. And then... We had gone to visit, uh, sort of go for a walk in the woods uh, with some friends um, in near Faversham. And afterwards, we decided we might just stop off at McNaid's, which is a, a food hall and sort of, again, a, a farm shop and in, in Faversham for a bit of lunch because they had outdoor seating and they were serving food. So we went there. I had some lovely uh, fish tacos, which was very tasty for a a meal however i'm sure as many people who during the early parts of restrictions who when they went out and they're eating outside if it's windy it's part of the game you've got to try and catch your, your lunch catch any of your family members lunch don't knock over <laughs> drinks um but then we went into the the farm shop and i just asked because uh, they had a freezer section where you could things like the pastries and i said you know do you have any frozen pizza dough and the lady said oh yes we do oh, I said, oh thank goodness results so, luckily Luckily, I had pizza dough, and obviously, it would be rude if I wasn't there at a lovely uh, cheese counter to purchase seven ridiculous cheeses <laughs> while I was there. <laughs> That's a double result, isn't it? Well, yes, I chose this recipe because it did suggest using a pre-made uh, pizza dough, and to be honest, after making all my debacle with trying to make bread not so long ago, um, I just <laughs> I couldn't be bothered to go through it, so I thought we'd choose something that's going to be relatively easy uh again pre-made pizza dough um and something that also hopefully you know can do with family and uh get the kids involved and stuff like that too um did you get the chance to look into calzone history Stu? i've got a little bit about that here 
No, I didn't. I'd be interested to hear if it was just a you know pizza chef's error when flipping the pizza, if it just folded over and went, yeah, that'll do. Well, so sometimes, and kind of in reference to what you're saying there, it was referred to as a inside-out pizza. Uh, calzones are made from pizza dough, stuffed with uh, meat, sauces, cheese, vegetables. Uh, kind of, you kind of add what you want to this dish, really. Um, and then it's created as you might do with pizza and then fold it in half into half moon shape um, and bake it in the oven. So the it originated from uh, Naples in Italy in the 1700s and they were sold on the street and intended to be eaten on the go. So it's kind of almost one of the first fast foods, if you like. Um, at this time, calzones uh, were actually formed by simply folding uh, an uncooked pizza in half before baking it. Um, and traditionally, they were quite small as well. Uh, and this was kind of because they're trying to make it easy for working people to eat lunch without having to sit down with a knife and fork, um, unlike other traditional Italian foods such as spaghetti and meatballs, for example, uh, not quite so uh, commuter friendly, if you like. Um, therefore, like, um, there was a kind of a nickname for this. Uh, calzone actually means trouser in Italian um, because it was seen as a walk around meal. Um, do you think you could have fit your calzone into your trousers, Stu? No chance. <laughs> no chance. <laughs> and that's not because I'm like one of these guys who walks around in skinny jeans. It's It was quite a beasty thing it was when I big, made wasn't it? it. Yeah, and quite Huge. calorific as well. So uh, you joked about are we turning to man versus food because the calories per serving of this was 967. Uh, so very calorific. Um, and two weeks on the trot, we've had uh, quite calorific meals. What with the uh, maple peak and crumpet pudding having 819 calories per serving as well. And as per usual, it's not just one serving as it's due. So, you know, once you've had a couple, then it really adds up. Um, with the uh, kind of progression of the calzone, it then moved to America, which is a very popular uh, dish over there in the States. Uh, and over the last few decades, calzone has become very popular in the United States. Uh, in 1996, after its appearance on the TV series Seinfeld, I don't know if anyone watched that or remembers that from back in the day, um, restaurants actually began featuring calzone on their menus more often. Um, and more recently, one of my favourite shows, and this is kind of what we're referring to at the top of the show today, um, it featured in Parks and Recreation, uh, where... One of the characters, Ben Wyatt, he, during a time of unemployment um, from his job at city council, he developed a bit of an obsession for calzone. And <laughs> Amy and I watched this back uh, the other day, actually. And it's quite funny because he's going through a period of unemployment and it kind of resonated with probably a lot of people who have been in lockdown over the past year, uh, where they're kind of around the house more often, looking for things to kind of occupy their time. And he develops this obsession of calzone. Um, he gets to the point where he's going to open up a calzone restaurant and things like that. Um, uh, it's just a, like a really, really funny sketch uh, as part of the show. And I was thinking back, <laughs> um, you know, during my lockdown and certainly periods where I was just like faffing about with stuff and kind of, you know, trying to try new things and learning Spanish and, well, start a podcast and <laughs> stuff like that. So. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so I could certainly resonate with Ben on that one. 
Um, but, you know, TV has uh, kind of uh, inspired the popularity of the calzone in America. Um, part of the uh, calzone as well is that in different regions, uh, there would be different ingredients. So I thought part of the challenge this week for our own recipes would be to um, collect our own ingredients and um, kind of you know, sort of discuss what we chose. So once the uh, calzone sauce was made, uh, which involved uh, the use of passata, basil leaves, um, boiling that up, uh, then adding uh, sun-dried tomatoes. Uh, I also added some onion at this point, um, some seasoning, and uh, allowed to reduce. Um, it was then to, oh, it was then time to bring on our own ingredients. So, Stu, over to you. What did you include in your calzone? Well, from a young age and my knowledge of working in Pizza Hut, I want, I've always been with pizzas, less is more, because you don't yeah. want to end up with what's referred to as a cake pizza. If you have too much, the filling doesn't cook all the way through. Obviously not so important with a calzone, but I've always been of the, well, I really want to have three ingredients as a maximum. Mm -hmm. But I have a small confession to make. Go so... On. I bought the standard ingredients because I thought, well, I'll do, as you said, do the sauce base and then I'll put a mixture of ingredients in. So I thought I'd do the mozzarella and parma ham for the Anne and I'd go a bit crazy with what I wanted for mine. So, because obviously I thought, well, what would be good here? And I started thinking, well, blue cheese. Blue cheese is what I want to try and put in this. <laughs> I'm thinking that would be quite strong. Mm -hmm. It might be a bit overpowering for the, the flavor, but I thought, well, actually... Why don't I go for a Cambazola? Now, if you're not familiar with what Cambazola is, it's essentially the cross between a blue cheese and a brie. Right. So you've still got a little bit of the flavor. You've still got a bit of the, uh, the punch of a blue, but you've got the softness of the brie. And I thought that nice. would work really nicely, mm -hmm. melted, because obviously it would go in there. However, small problem. So obviously, I, as mentioned previously, I didn't manage to get the dough in time. Yeah. And it was a late evening. I'd had a long day at work. My child had been, for lack of a better term, a royal pain in the backside all day long. <laughs> I was very tired in one evening, so I just ate all the Cambazola. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> not even with crackers. I literally just cut just up this wedge of Cambazola and nice. ate it. Nice. So, and I, I'd planned to do Cambazola and bacon. Um, as Ooh. my as my filling, um, but again the next morning I was so tired because I didn't sleep very well. Probably because I just had a massive slab of <laughs> Cambazola before bed. I thought I'm gonna have a bacon sandwich. <laughs> then I found the dough and I was like, I'm running out of time before Wednesday, so I'm just gonna have to cook it with the normal ingredients. So I was horrified. So I stuck to the recipe, but my oh, intention okay. was Cambazola and bacon. But the good thing is, where I panicked, thinking Harriet might want to get involved, so I bought two boxes of the dough. So I am going to rework this with the plan for the Cambazola and crispy bacon. Um, but I stuck with the tradition. I had Parma ham and it was really, really good quality, really delicious Parma ham. And nice. Harriet didn't want to join in with this pizza for some reason, even though it's a pizza, but she helped me make them. Oh, good. And, and every time I, because um, obviously there's the pack of Parma ham. You don't need as much of it. And I don't want to have food wasted. You didn't have the greatest date on it. So I kept on saying to Harriet, oh, chef's treat, picking up a slice of ham, <laughs> eating it. Harriet then 
Just pick up a piece of ham and go, oh, chef's treat and Lovely. eat it. So it's really, really good. Very nice. Um, please, you got involved. Um, I did actually the opposite of what I was just saying about what Amy does. And uh, I did use all the ingredients on this one. Um, so in mine, I had uh, mozzarella, uh, spring onion, sweet corn, mushrooms, uh, believe it or not. I, I don't actually mind a mushroom in a pizza type dish. Um, courgette, uh, pepperoni. Uh, instead of the parma ham and my special ingredient this week uh to give it a bit of a kick was some uh green pelly uh, green chili peppers uh again just to give that a little bit of a kick um and it came across very well so once you've done the sauce and you've got your ingredients organized uh it's time to roll out the pizza dough which i um so i used northern dough company and they're very good, very highly recommend them um, if you ever get a chance to get hold of their stuff. Um, Family-based company, uh, do some good work, so check them out. And they uh, ordinarily have no issues with rolling the dough out. However, on this occasion, I actually had the, so you defrost the dough from the freezer and you leave it out on the side um, to defrost. During that time, it does say on the pack to expect um, expansion of the dough, just where I guess the the ingredients inside at yeast, I assume, uh, kind of uh, uh, kicks into action and then start to to, to expand and the, the dough gets bigger. Now, I don't know if I kind of left it for too long on this occasion, but it did become very sort of sticky and the, the ability to be able to roll it um, sort of was lost slightly. So I did end up with some like holes in the, 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 um, in the dough uh, which obviously when you're trying to make a basically a case for ingredients to go into, that's kind of the last thing you want. Um, but other than that, it's okay. Uh, the, the problem that kind of came with that is that the underside is quite thin. Uh, so on one of the calzones, I actually made two. Um, one of the calzone, it was um, when I lifted it off the, the, the baking tray, there was a slight hole in the underneath part and um, as a result of that, uh, quite a lot of the sauce kind of like flooded out of it, <laughs> and, uh, bits of sweet corn and things like that. So there was a bit of a bit of an accident there, but it's okay. It's fine. I managed to scoop it up, put it on the plate, and it tasted okay. Um, how did you get on with the dough in the end? Obviously, you did manage to find some, so that's a bonus uh, plus some cheese. Um, did you get on okay with that process? I did. I felt the dough before rolling it. It was a bit sticky, so obviously. <laughs> Floured the work surface and floured the rolling pin as well. The usual jazz. So I think I think I got quite lucky uh, with what I had. So again, rolled it out. And again, even when rolling out, I was like 12 to 15 centimeters. This is enormous. Yeah, is this going to fit widthwise on my baking tray? Yeah. So I my main concern was I was going to get leakage out mm-hmm. of my crimping of the of the dough because obviously it suggests you know crimp it to make it look like a cornish pasty yes which is uh which is what i did but i i, I used thumbs on one mm-hmm. and i used a fork for crimping on the other oh. one just to try and try and rate my uh crimping technique that's really interesting exactly what i did as well completely yeah we didn't discuss this at all but i did exactly the same thing <laughs> and i didn't get i i got a little bit of sort of leakage just around the the join of the crimping mm-hmm. um but not not as much as I was expecting. And then obviously the one with the fork, no no leakage whatsoever. Right. I think I might have not... I mean, it, it was fine when I cooked it. The dough was cooked through. 
but I think I could have probably left mine in for a few minutes more just to get a little bit more golden because um, as people will see on our on our social media posts on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at that food pod, um, mine looks a little bit pale. It still tasted really, really nice, but I think from a presentation standpoint, I should have left it in for a couple more minutes just to give it that extra bit of sort of golden um, appearance to it rather than a little bit. Looks a little bit like wholemeal roll, I think, so from a from a browning standpoint. Yeah, and it's interesting you should say that it it does resemble a Cornish pasty once you've made it, and the Cornish pasty was actually developed for the same purpose, wasn't it? It's, it's a quick meal for workers. Um, so I wondered if I developed at the same time um, or independently, or if one kind of got the idea from the other. Um, so maybe a little bit of food history to look into in the future, um, but from Okay, uh, so we've cooked the dish now from an eating point of view. I found it, um, I liked it, but to be honest, it was, uh, it was a slightly more complicated and less tasty way of making a pizza, in my opinion. Um, like, people rave about calzone, they love it, uh, but for me, again, it's just kind of an over, overly complicated way of making a pizza, um, and it didn't taste quite as nice now i'd love to saying that go try one in a italian restaurant and uh, kind of experience it maybe cooked by a professional uh, chef but uh, for me it was uh, slightly underwhelming how about you i think it was a bit bland really i know you've got the basil mm-hmm. in but with a lot of things of these italian dishes it's really down on the quality i think of the ingredients you have so for me, again, the mozzarella I had was, you know, your bog standard mozzarella. And we've mentioned on the podcast before, I'm a bit of a cheese enthusiast. And I really feel that with cheese, you get what you pay for. And as I got a quite sort of low level mozzarella, I think if you, if I'd had, you know, a higher quality of ingredients or a higher quality of passata, a higher quality of mozzarella, mm-hmm. obviously the parma ham was delicious. But, you know, again, chef snack. <laughs> Got to make sure it all goes in. Um, but I agree with you. If if I were to make an Italian dough-based dinner, I'd just go for a pizza. Yeah. I found that, and, and I'm not sure if you, you found this with the volume of ingredients that you put in, but it just, yeah, it, there's something that doesn't stick with me with it. I, I think also because it looks like a pasty, if I had the choice of a two, I'd go for a pasty <laughs> rather than a calzone. Yeah, same, same. Um, but yeah, but I'm definitely going to give it another bash. I'm, okay. g- I'm definitely going to give it another bash because obviously I've got the dough in there and provided the cambazola can survive a couple of evenings without me sort of devouring it, then I'd be quite interested to see again if there's more enjoyment with more punchy flavours because I think, again, with, with essentially the, the classic that Italian margarita ingredients going in the calzone, Maybe I should have seasoned a bit more as well uh, the the sauce, but again, you want to try you want to try and follow as best you can with what ingredients you have. Um, so in hindsight, I think fun recipe to make, interesting, good crimping practice, which yep. is you know a, t- a technical thing that I'd not done for a very long time. So that was quite cool to do. Um, yeah, it's it was interesting to make. Didn't take too long to make. Um, I had forgotten I was going to make it the previous day, and I had forgotten to take my dough out, take the dough out of the freezer. So I did then have to delay cooking <laughs> it for another day. 
so that wasn't a uh, wasn't the end of the world but yeah I, and, and also in my mind like you said you know it's a lot of faff to make dough but i also wonder if i'd made my own dough if i would have felt a little bit more more pride yeah, in, in cooking it yeah i think you're right with the ingredients you know if you, you get what you pay for and things like that and i certainly didn't buy the highest quality of ingredients for this one um but you know i, I love I love pizza. I love Italian food. Um, I would love to try this dish cooked professionally by somebody. Um, but for me, it was um, a convoluted way of making a pizza, essentially. Um, and I definitely couldn't fit this one into my trousers. It was definitely not a light snack. It was um, very high in calories, um, which leads us nicely on to um, a little bit of a segment on uh, fat content in food. So... The dish this week um, had a high fat content, so it had 25 grams of fat, um, of which 9 grams were saturated fats. Uh, Last week's dish, the maple, pecan and crumpet pudding, which was chosen by Stu, very, very nice, um, however very fatty. So in that, there was a shocking 51.5 grams of fat, of which 23.5 were saturated fats. Um, So it's a very... Very calorific, very fatty dish. Lovely. Yeah, certainly couldn't fit it in our trousers, and I probably can't <laughs> fit in my can't personally can't fit in my trousers now after <laughs> the last two recipes. Um, yeah, we are on our way to becoming man versus food, aren't we? But to put us in some sort of context, um, according to the NHS website, saturated fat guidelines, um, men should not eat more than thirty grams of fat per day, saturated fat per day. Um, and women should not eat more than 20 grams of saturated fat per day. So if you look at the um, the crumpet pudding dish that we had, you we would have easily um, exceeded the amount of... Um, no, sorry, if we were female, we would have easily exceeded the amount of saturated fat that we would be able to uh, intake each day. But again, you know, by the time you've had a second serving, um, which I certainly did... Um, you're kind of racking up those saturated fats that you're um, suggested to have each day. Um, now, to too much fat in your diet, uh, especially saturated fats, can raise your cholesterol, for example, um, which then goes on to increase the risk of other diseases such as heart disease. Um, current UK government guidelines advise that we do cut down on all fats and replace saturated fats with some unsaturated fats. However, I'm just going to take a sort of a bit of a different glance at this as well. And just, um, you know, I mentioned in the past that things such as fats and carbs and things like that are often vilified um, and seen as bad. But actually, if you look at it a bit further, you do see the benefits as well. Um, so let's look at the other side of that information. So a small amount of fat is an essential part of a healthy, balanced diet. Um, fat is a source of essential fatty acids, uh, which the body cannot make itself. Um, fat helps the body to absorb vitamins, which are essential to our um, our needs as well as human beings. So vitamin A, vitamin D, and vitamin E are all um, fat-soluble vitamins, which means that they can only be absorbed uh, with the help of fats in our, in our diet. Um, so to give you some context as to what these vitamins do, and without the help of fat, we're not really processing them correctly in the body. Um, Vitamin A is important for normal vision, the immune system and reproduction. 
Um, it also helps uh, the heart, lungs, kidneys and other organs to function properly. Um, vitamin D, obviously we can get that from the sun, um, which in England is quite hard sometimes. Again, as I look out the window, uh, it stopped raining, but it's still a bit overcast. Um, but this helps to build strong bones and um, also thought to possibly prevent some cancers as well. Um, symptoms of vitamin D deficiency can include muscle weakness, um, pain, fatigue, and uh, also depression as well. So winters are often linked with um, SAD or seasonal affective disorder, which is you know part of the reason why that happens is because we're not getting enough sunlight, enough vitamin D. Um, and then moving on to vitamin E, uh, this helps to maintain healthy skin and eyes and strengthen the body's natural defenses against illness and infection, i.e. the immune system. Um, so without the help of fats uh, in our diet, and again, preferably, um, we are looking to get unsaturated fats into our diet rather than um, saturated. This is um, you know, part of the system, actually. So what I'm saying is try not to avoid all types of fat. Um, and as we sort of mentioned before, the fat is uh, the body's way of um, gaining energy as well into the system. So fat is turned into energy. Um, likewise, unused like carbohydrates and proteins are also converted um, into body fat if it's not used, actually. So say if you were to eat lots and lots of carbs on your day, but you're not doing any exercise, that will rather than turn to energy, that will actually be converted into fat. So it's kind of try to get that balance of not just dietary, but um, again, something we talk about quite often, um, how much exercise you get to help to burn off those extra calories gained. Um, all types of fat are high in energy, um, AKA again, calories, a gram of fat, whether it's saturated or unsaturated, provides nine calories of energy compared to four calories of energy in carbs and protein. Um, and again, the main types of fat uh, found in foods are saturated fats and unsaturated fats. Um, most fats and oils contain both saturated and unsaturated fats in different proportions. So it's always worth looking at the labels on backs of uh, food items that you're eating just to kind of gauge a uh, idea of how much you are intaking of each. Um, sometimes you will see that there is a large portion of one or the other. Um, so just keep an eye on that. Uh, as part of the healthy diet, yes, do look to cut down on foods and drinks that are high in saturated fats uh, and san uh, trans fats and replace them with uh, unsaturated fats as part of a balanced diet. Now, Stu, I know that you track your uh, calories and how they come into your body, whether it's uh, through fats and carbs and proteins. Um, do you... Are you still tracking, uh, is my first question as part of your um, Body Guy project. And do you have a rough idea of your current recommended allowance for your goals? So I'm going to try and find a relatively um, gluttonous day. Right. Uh, so how I view it on the MyFitnessPal, um, my goal for... The, the breakdown of each day is supposed to be 50% of my intake should be carbs, 30% yep. should be fats, and 20% yep. should be proteins. Okay. Um, I'm looking through sort of the the setup and how these are arranged. I'm not overly good at hitting these targets, okay. to be honest, from a body guy standpoint. I normally, 
So, for example, um, on a couple of weeks ago to look at these stats, so I was 7% short on carbs, 1% below fats, but uh, 8% higher on protein. Okay. And the same same again. So I was 8% lower on fats and 10% higher on protein. Um, One of the days I was 6% above it. So... It's pretty consistent of being be- looking for it being below that fat content. I mean, the best okay. day I got was um, Friday the 9th of April, where I got 49 carbs, 30% fat, which is the ideal goal of what I had, and 21 grams of protein. Right. And that day, um, if I have a look at what I actually had on that day... Sorry, I'm struggling with my technology. That's okay. I don't know if that's jumped me. Yeah, it's uh, just crashed on me. It's about so it, it monitor. I do monitor it, but it's not something I pay as much attention to as the calorie intake. But seeing sure. some of those days mm-hmm. where, I mean, luckily I said I stay below my fifty percent carbs, and it seems to be the mix between proteins and fats, which um, seems to be very inconsistent. But I think right. I'd be looking to get better results, and the plan of action is knowing full well. I think obviously I've got a bit lazy um, over the last week or so, knowing I'm going into the holiday mode, where I'm not going to sit there on holiday and go, mm, maybe I won't have that treat. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah. But when coming back, you know, I've got, I've booked out time in my work calendar, so I've got my my exercise regime set each day. Obviously, as the you know the light nights are going to be longer, I've got more time to be able to sort of do more stuff outside, do more physical activity and, and things, and then really, really push on. Because I think the thing I found with like the fat contents, as as you said, and as as seen by those stats, I always go with the approach of fats. Keep them down. Keep mm-hmm. as little fats down as possible, and then keep on like a a low carb, a high protein diet. Yeah. But it's interesting that you said that because you know looking back to some of those days where I did exceed the fat content i felt very very sluggish okay really really sluggish on the on those on on some of those days and uh, again you know i think it's noticeable um when you're trying to keep a very low calorie controlled diet and trying to keep those things out if you then essentially have very bad cheat days and when i say it's a bad cheat day it's like an ice cream a extra (laughs) bowl of cereal some biscuits and then the next day, you feel rubbish. <laughs> yeah, you, you can. And I guess, you know, that's where what I'm going to try to do next week is, uh, so I guess the things that I want people to take away is that don't avoid fats completely. It's just try to get the right balance and the right types of fats into your diet as well. As I've already mentioned, they do help to uh, move along other processes in the body which are important to our existence and important to making us feel okay. Um but it's, it can be confusing because we're talking about saturated fats, unsaturated fats, trans fats, you know, how they link to cholesterol and things like that. So next week, I'm just going to try to break down a little bit about, you know, what these different terminologies mean because uh, it can be confusing. And I guess just to cut through some of the information and, again, you know, maybe shine a uh, somewhat positive light on what fats can do, but at the same time, just be aware of uh, the downfalls with them and the different types of fats. But leading on from uh, that little bit of a chat, Stu, what's the uh, fat content going to be like in the dish of the week for this week? I think it's going to depend on how you choose to make it. So 
this week's recipe of the week is inspired by something that both me and Matt considers to be one of the greatest evenings <laughs> on the calendar. This yes. is almost as exciting to me as Christmas. I look forward to this more than any birthday. This Saturday in the UK and around Europe, of course, it is the Eurovision Song Contest, an hey. evening of fantastic Euro pop pageantry oh. and excitement. This I year, I cannot well, wait. It was postponed and cancelled last year, and all we got was videos of those who were going to compete and their songs. Interesting this year, quite a number of those competitors are back this year, but they've had to change their song, so they've had to do a new song uh, for that. But it's being held in Holland, in the Netherlands, uh, this year, so I thought it would be apt to try and find a traditional Dutch dish to cook for our recipe of the week. And I have found one that I personally had never heard of before. So, next week, we will be preparing Ayrton soup. <laughs> Ayrton soup. I thought you were going to say Ayrton Senna. My F1, <laughs> my F1 uh, tuned ears came in there. Okay. Um, so, Ayrton Spoot. Ayrton Spoot Ayrton soup. <laughs> spelt E-R-W-T-E-N-S-O-E-P. Now, Ayrton soup is a hearty, smoky soup featuring green split peas simmered down with pork, carrots, onions, leeks, and celeriac. Mm. Uh, sometimes in the Netherlands, it refer- is, can be referred to as snurt or just Dutch split <laughs> pea soup. So snurt. we will be making Dutch split pea soup and we'll be serving that with some rye bread, which I haven't decided yet if we're going to cook it, uh, make the uh. rye bread ourselves. I might find a recipe and put it out if anyone wants to. But my favourite thing about this, so obviously the ingredients are going to be, as you'd expect, split peas, celeriac, beef stock, onions, carrots, leeks, a pork chop, bacon, cloves, pepper, and something I've never cooked with before, bacon bones. Bacon bones, well, uh, I I, I don't know what that is. I assume it's pork bones, right? I'd assume so. So it gives us time to speak to our butchers, see if they've got any. I think the recipe has some suggestions if you can't get hold of bacon bones. But that is going to be our recipe of the week. We're going to be cooking traditional Dutch Ayrton soup. I'm really looking forward to that. And um, I am more than willing to have a go at making bread as well, Stu, if you want to chuck that in as part of the challenge. Uh, Despite my reservations um, of trying to make bread again after my... uh, my last disaster. I do feel like I do uh, have some um, making up to do on that one. So if you want to chuck that in as part of the challenge, Stu, then bring it on. Um, and love a bit of soup. It's always a good dish. Um, just to touch on uh, the Eurovision love, and I'm sure we're going to this next week as we'll discuss it, or uh, the week after even, because we're going to have a week off next week. Um, it's, again, one of our favourite dates in the calendar each year. It's become a yearly tradition in uh, the Huntley household. Ever since we um, <laughs> we watched it together at university um, all those years ago, forced our housemates to watch it as well, which I think they hated. Um, but just since then, it's just gone on to be a tradition. We get fish and chips every uh, every time we watch it. Um, so we sit down with fish and chips, curry sauce, a little beer as well, stick your revision on, and it's just such a fun evening. Um, and I'm looking forward to making this dish, Stu, and chatting to you about it in two weeks' time. And make sure for pudding you get yourself some ice cream and some monkey blood. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Uh, if, you, if you enjoyed what you've heard this week, uh, please subscribe on your podcast app of preference. 
And more importantly, if you do, leave us a five-star review because it really helps us get found uh, in the searches. We seem to be doing quite well. And again, thank you for listening this week. Again, don't forget to engage with us like people have done um, on the last few episodes on our social media platforms, That Food Pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And as we mentioned, we are having next week off because I am on holiday, but we will be back at the start of June with some Ayrton soup. Enjoy Europop. It's going to be amazing. Enjoy, guys. Look forward to the soup and have a lovely holiday, Stu. See you guys in a couple of weeks. <laughs>